What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, all right? I'll take it. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome back to 12 Days Pod. I'm Dan Takaki, joined here with my co-host, girlfriend, partner, and charcuterie connoisseur, Kara Zelaya. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> if you're new here, this is our holiday season podcast, one that is so seasonal that it's only relevant for 12 weeks of the year, which is how long Christmas is meant to be celebrated. Correct. We love Christmas. We love Christmas movies. So we're here to talk about some of our favorites and for no other reason other than just have fun. This week, we are talking about the 1947 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Frank Capra, starring Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Yes, it is a wonderful life, don't you think? It sure is. It sure is a wonderful life. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So, as always, uh, we are going to go through what this movie is actually about, what the person who hadn't seen it, which in this case, in case you couldn't tell by the fact that he did the intro, is Dan and had never seen this movie, what he thought it was. And uh, some trivia, some notes, which there should be not that many of, I believe. There's in this a movie. lot of notes, gang. And, uh, you know, just the usual how many days of Christmas is it? Yeah, so as Kara said, I've never seen this movie before. And shocking. It is shocking that I've never seen it because yeah. I've seen most Christmas movies, and this is, you know, a seminal Christmas movie. I just <laughs> He's did, doing air quotes. I did, I did air quotes there because. We'll get to it. I don't think this is a Christmas movie. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Anyway, It's a Wonderful Life. What did I think it was about? Here are my notes. I wrote, the main character's name is like Jimmy or Walter, which I was sort of (laughs) right in that Jimmy Stewart plays a character named George. Yeah, same Um, thing. George and Walter are kind of the same name. I wrote, he wishes he was never born. Again. Also. A thing that happens. A thing that happens. I sort of knew that this was the one where he was like, I wish I was never born, but I didn't know what happened before (laughs) that leading up to it or after it. I wrote that he's either 25 or 45, which again, stands. Because... He, pl- he is both in this movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. I said there was going to be a lot of transatlantic accents, which there were. I mean, it's it was the, the 40s. 40s. Yeah. <laughs> I said, somebody says the word broad. I don't know if that happened, but it definitely happened. It, it should have happened if it didn't. I just said, I have absolutely no idea what this movie's about. Oh, I said, he keeps messing up. Maybe he accidentally says Santa isn't real to a small child. He doesn't. Turns no. out he's a good guy. Also, there's no Santa in this movie. None. Santa is not involved in like this movie. Like at all. Nowhere to be found. And then I said, in the end, white male fragility is restored. The power balance is once oh, again 90-10. White men, everyone else. Which <laughs> it is, folks. Okay, I'm going to start immediately right there by saying that I love this movie, and this is like probably my favorite Christmas movie. I'll, I'll also say, I like this movie. Right. It's a good movie. No, no, no. But I mean, I, I have to like preface by saying, like, growing up in the society that we grew up in, right, not having a lot of representation on television, etc., Jimmy Stewart, for me, is, like, the one white dude who, like, continues to do good in my eyes. And we'll get into the trivia, because there's a lot of Jimmy Stewart goodness that, like, needs to be said somewhere, so it's going to go here. But 
Jimmy's just so good and so wonderful. And I'm, I am so deeply embedded in my love for Jimmy Stewart that I am extremely defensive. So just a heads up. I have no, no qualms with Jimmy Stewart <laughs> or really George for that matter in this movie. It's, if, you, if you haven't seen this movie, this is what it's actually about. Please so enlighten I, us. Enlighten me what this movie is about. I Googled it like short, just summary of what it is. And per our rules, it's usually that we have to recount it from memory, which I will. But this sentence was just too great to not share, which is George Bailey has so many problems. He is thinking about ending it all, dash. And it's Christmas, which seems to be your general review of this movie. Yeah. Basically, what this movie is, is George Bailey, who is played by Jimmy Stewart, um, is in this 1940s, late 1940s movie. It's beautiful. It's in black and white. And we basically start with this beautiful narrative uh, or narrators that are like his guardian angels, which are these like twinkling little stars. I'll get into them. Okay. You you love them. They're great. They're They're the best part of this movie. Except for Donna Reed, which I will also get into. (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't we all want to? Anyway, um, (laughs) the stars are are, uh, George's guardian angels, and his guardian angel is going to be sent down. And we basically see his life as a youngster until a, a point where he hits a breaking point, which when he hits a breaking point, it is Christmas. And at that point, his guardian angel comes down and uh, shows him what life would have been like if he hadn't been born. And it's beautiful. I mean, this movie makes, I've seen it so many times and rewatching it the other day and watching it with you for the first time. I cried like four times. I love this movie. That said, I would love to hear your notes. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, as Kara often complains about movies, Mm. this movie is long. (laughs) That's fair. This is a two hour. It's not fif- too long, but it's, it's this it's, is an this movie is two hours and fifteen minutes long. That is half an hour longer than the previously longest movie we've watched for this, which is Home Alone. Home Alone was too long. It's established that an hour forty five is too long for a movie. It's too long. This is half an hour longer than that, and so I want to get into the fact about is this a Christmas movie? Yes, of course it's a Christmas movie. It has Christmas feelings. It's winter. It is winter for the last hour of the movie. The first hour and a half of this movie, there is no sign of Christmas. No sign of winter or snow or anything. There is nothing that would give the feeling or aesthetic that this is a Christmas movie. I don't agree with your assessment that it's not a Christmas movie. But in my trivia, which I can just tell you right now, this movie was in fact filmed during a heat wave. (laughs) And when was it released? January 7th. After Christmas. Okay, just wanted to make sure we got that out on the clear. Another note we have is when we are in the like post, he wishes he was never alive. There's a whole, basically the movie is divided into two parts. There is the, all of the events leading up to George having this basically breakdown. Right. And then there is the event. Well, af- his, his life. His well, whole life. Right. That's what it, yeah. Yeah. His, his life that he doesn't see as, see as wonderful. And then post-life where he is not existent or whatever. Right. And there is a note where Donna Reed's character is (laughs) shown to be a quote-unquote spinster (laughs) and never married, never left the town, and she is the town librarian. Everyone thinks she's... Because George Bailey wasn't alive, she became a spinster in the film, essentially. And... Folks, she comes out of that library. When I say Donna Reed could get it, <laughs> yeah, she came out correct. of that library, and I was like, "Woo!" 
<laughs> I mean, I also have a visceral physical reaction to Donna Reed as a spinster with the glasses and the cute little like I'm a librarian. Like she she might have invented hot librarian, honestly. This is the 40s. Truly. And the idea that George Bailey was the only man for her is cute, sure, but it is hmm, not realistic. Not only that, she was like actively dating one of George's friends right. in the beginning of the movie. Right. Exactly. And so like the idea that the reason she didn't want to marry, I think his name's Sam, is because she knew George Bailey was around. Right, right. But she was with Sam. <laughs> like, she was fully dating Sam. And she just, I don't know what happened there. Sam was trash. She was cheating on her anyway. Like, whatever. Yeah, so going back to the length of this movie, there are a lot of like C and D plots of this movie that, sh- that are important to showing sure. how impactful George is sure. on a lot of people's lives in this movie. But there are a lot of them. What what are the CMP plots? Okay. I'm just going to name a few that are all important to showing that he's a good guy. Sure. I'm just oh, saying martinis. You, I'm just saying you don't need all of them to show that he's a good guy. I mean, he's a white man. I need a lot of evidence. It's fair. <laughs> the martinis plot line where he yeah. like gets a house for the martinis. The yeah. martinis own a bar, I think. There's a family who like goes into the like office that George essentially runs and like they would have not gotten a loan and not gotten a house and not gotten a bar were it not for him. So there's a woman named Violet Bick. Oh, I don't understand the Violet plotline at all. But it takes up maybe 10 minutes of the movie <laughs> where she was like constantly hitting on George and George is not interested. <laughs> and then there's scenes where like she's giving he's giving her money because she's it's like leaving her abusive husband, but then doesn't. But then doesn't. But, like, people are like, it's a scandal. It's not necessary. Like, yeah. it, it shows that he's a good guy. If we're talking about cutting time from this movie, <laughs> I think two of those two. There's also a lot of Violet in the beginning of the movie, too. Right, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> all throughout the movie, Violet is sprinkled out. And there's never, like, a moment where George has, like, a conscious of crisis of, like, oh, no, am I going to cheat on my wife yeah. with Violet? Well, Which I mean, it seems like it could be leading to. Right, and it never But it happens. just never happens. Well, I mean, when you're married to Donna Reed. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean... Another one was there's a big investment plot line with Sam where he's like, I'm going to invent rubber or something. I'm going to invent rubber. And, you know, there's like, ah, you could be on the ground floor of this. Um, And again, it doesn't. No, okay. I'm actually going to disagree with you heavily here because one of the reasons I love this movie, which I didn't realize until rewatching it and like how formative this movie has been to who I am as a human being, is that it is a clear, like, argument against capitalism oh that's my that's my that's my last note or one of my last notes is this movie is about mental health and the issues of capitalism and how working for the collective good is better than an individual game yeah yeah no that's correct i agree with that (laughs) so frank capra i will make you watch mr smith goes to washington probably this evening because it is one of my all-time favorite movies but like this was kind of his whole thing is that he did a lot of very you know collective good films um mr smith goes to washington's about that this is about that and it's about like the celebration of like what american goodness could be and it was very centered on american exceptionalism in a very socialist sort of way which is great Mm -hmm. so i think the sam thing is to just be like hey like sam became the super rich person by literally not inventing or starting anything just like investing in something we have george who is just helping his local community and is disenfranchised because he can't make any money off of that and is like literally suicidal so i'm for the sam we can't cut sam we can call we can cut violet though violet can go sure 
I was just giving examples of all of the different B plot lines. I, I, I think you should keep some of them. Like that, I think that's important to keep yeah. the like the drugstore owner thing. Oh yeah, it's just yeah. it's sweet. It's yeah. cute because it happens when he's a little kid. So there's a drugstore owner in the film who um, his son dies. God, there is a lot of plot stuff in it. There's so much detail. His son dies, and the day in a that- war. Yeah, in the war. And when his son dies, he becomes so upset that he accidentally puts poison in a few like pills that he's supposed to give to one of his customers. And George stops him from selling it to the customer, essentially. And as a result, the pharmacist gets to continue living a happy life. But like when George isn't doesn't exist, he like becomes like a homeless man and like someone who the society just doesn't care for. So I guess what I am starting to see how this is not a Christmas movie and this is a movie about something else because the more we talk about it the more i'm like oh these are larger themes about like goodness and caring about your neighborhood Mm -hmm. it's it's the but it happens during christmas one part of it happens during christmas (laughs) the crucial turning point happens around christmas right so you thought the angels are good oh yes that's i have a lot of notes i'm kind of bouncing around but yeah the the angels cutting back to like these like three stars that are like basically talking to each other throughout the movie that are they sort of act as like the narrators but they aren't like consistent they're reliable but like their presence is not consistent right 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 and i think if we cut two of the b plot lines or the (laughs) d plot violet and we got cut violet cut the martinis and we get more angels i think you can drop this down to two hours and it'd be a much more but it's a be a better movie and like this is already a really good movie i want to emphasize i like this movie it's a good movie can i say this is revolutionary for dan because dan we've had a in-depth discussions about how you don't trust angels like you don't fuck with angels (laughs) (laughs) yes the the concept of angels is 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 frightening to you the biblical sense of angels are very much like i I don't trust them i don't (laughs) Go on. I don't really think I need to go on. I think I'm just going to leave that sure. where it is and, you know what? and let people let people infer what they want about that. I do believe in ghosts. <laughs> Mr. Potter should have died. <laughs> and I don't mean at I the, did not see that coming. And I don't mean at the end of the movie there should have been a, like a death scene for Mr. Potter. I mean that man looked like he was on his deathbed the entire movie. Oh, you don't mean like they should kill him or like no. he should have been killed off because he sucks. You mean like he literally should be dead. So Mr. Potter is the richest man in town for people who haven't seen this movie. And he basically is like trying to monopolize the entire town and own it all. And he just doesn't give a shit about people. And He's like Scrooge, but if Scrooge never got better. He's like the monster in Monsters, Inc. The one who owns the entire company. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And he even kind of looks like that. You said the monster in Monsters, Inc. <laughs> They're all monsters. Whatever. You got it. Yeah, those are all the notes I have. You ended, um, you ended on a strong one. I ended on a pretty good one. It got you pretty good. I know, really um, anyway, this movie could be a comedy. Kara, do you want to offer us up some tasty little nuggets, some trivia, some fun facts about this movie? So I found this one really lovely. For the scene that required Donna Reed to throw a rock, there's a scene where they're like on a date and they mm-hmm. walk by this broken down house and she loves it. Oh yeah, there's a lot. There's that too. <laughs> that needs to be there because it eventually... That's a, good, that's a good scene. Yeah, it eventually becomes their house and uh, George is like, you have to throw, break glass and make a wish on it. And in that scene... Um, they had hired a marksman to shoot the rock to like break the window when Donna Reed threw it. 
and she actually threw it and just hit it. And that's the scene that they kept because she played baseball in high school. Donna Reed. (laughs) My gal. (laughs) And she had a really good, strong throwing arm. That's awesome. That's a cool fact. Yeah, it's a good one. Jimmy Stewart was nervous about the phone kiss scene because it was his first on-screen kiss uh, since he came back to Hollywood after the war because Jimmy Stewart went to fight in World War II. And actually, this is like a very famous thing about Jimmy Stewart, but like he really fought to be able to go to the war and the studios kept trying to stop him from going and he did. And I also found out in my research that Jimmy Stewart was so dedicated to being in the armed forces that his last war that he fought in was Vietnam. That's crazy. Yeah. He was old then. Yeah, for sure. How how old was Jimmy Stewart in this movie? In the movie, George is spo- George Bailey plays like a myriad ages. <laughs> like he starts out as like a twenty-five-year-old, like not uh, in college, but like hanging out at a college party, and he looks a little old. I mean, he was born in nineteen oh eight, and the movie came out in nineteen forty-seven. So, okay, so he was like in his thirties. Yeah. Okay, that no, tracks. He was like. Yeah, late 30s, though. Yeah. No, I could see that, though. Jimmy Stewart has seen some things. Also- yeah, he was in multiple wars. <laughs> so when we were watching the movie, there are these two characters. One's a cop, one's a taxi driver, whose names are Bert and Ernie. And I told you that Bert and Ernie were named after them. In my research, actually, that is a myth. Oh. Bert and Ernie were not named after them. Uh, while Bert and Ernie's names have often been linked to those of the cop and cab driver in It's a Wonderful Life, Jim Henson and others have said that it's just a coincidence. I think that's fascinating. I also, I think Ernie, the Mupp- the Muppet Ernie, would be a cab driver. Bert would not be a cop. Bert, Bert yeah. hates cops. Bert hates cops. <laughs> it's canon. <laughs> so initially, this was a box office flop on January 7th. Sure. Yeah. And Who's going to the movies January 7th? <laughs> I'm going to the movies January 7th. January is one of my most go-to movie months because all of the movies that came out in November and December, I can go see. It's fair. It's a good time to go to the movies. Um, but I don't watch but, anything that came right. out in Yeah, that's January. what I mean. It's like, who's who's seeing a new movie in January? I think we saw 1917 and that came out in January. Who's watching a Christmas movie in January is a good question. Uh, besides us? <laughs> no one. Hallmark probably wasn't around yet. And so due to a clerical error at the NTA's copyright office, the copyright was not renewed when it expired in 74, and the movie became part of public domain. And so everyone started basically airing it, and that's when it became, like, super beloved and famous, was in the 70s. That sounds right. That sounds right for, like, 1940s, 1950s Hollywood to be like, I don't know, here's this movie that nobody saw. You can have it for free. I mean, it's fascinating to me because, like, one, it's so easy to do a clerical error. And then, two, how did they figure out that this clerical error had happened? Because there was, like, no internet. That's a good scoop Like, good job, yeah. whoever got that. And now it's on, like, AFI's top 100 list. So, yeah, it was ranked as the number one most inspirational movie of all time by AFI in 2006. Also, Donna Reed's first starring role. I mean, she left an impression. The iconic scene where Jimmy Stewart's character runs through the snow-swept like Bedford Falls mm-hmm. um, was actually filmed in a scorching July. That's really funny. Where is Bedford Falls? They talk about New York City a lot, as any movie in the 1940s would. It's like, ah, Sam's out in New York City. Well, I mean, it takes place in, like, the 20s, remember. I feel like it's in, like, upstate New York. I feel like Buffalo gets mentioned once. It is in New York. 
Yeah, yes. I feel like it's in like upstate. But New it's York. it's a fictional town that is just in New York. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's probably like a Yonkers situation. I was gonna say like Connecticut, which is you know vaguely New York to me always. People yeah. who live in Connecticut are always going to New York and just yeah. having their business. It seems like it seems like it's like a Hello Dolly. Yes, it's exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, this movie's so... Okay, if you have not seen It's a Wonderful Life, I hope that this is a good commercial for you to see it. It's so good. You will cry. You will cry. It's just... That's my pitch. You will laugh and cry. It's you so just said sweet. you'll cry twice. Just I know. So. But for me, that's the highest the highest praise I can give. This is a good movie. It's not a Christmas movie. And I stand <laughs> by that. And I will stand firm that this is not a Christmas movie. I've come around a little bit on that perspective. I can see how you can cut, like, maybe 10 minutes from this movie although i have a fixed rule that all movies should be 90 minutes long i would give an exception to this movie sure like this is this is a good and movie it is there's a, a lot movie, you, there's a lot you whatever. could cut it's not a christmas movie but it's a good movie there's a lot of filler there's not that much filler it builds but not all of it is necessary to prove that I he's a good person i do agree with you that the narrators need to be more involved Clarence, Clarence the Angel. I mean, he's. I think one of the funnier things of this movie is that they depicted Clarence as like just this like kind of like mid mid fifties white man that like is kind of pudgy. He's not like you know like handsome, you know like a beautiful angelic person. It's just like he's kind of sarcastic and he's kind of messing with George. So I wanted to tell you that there was in 1990 there was a sequel made oh, no. called Clarence. Yes. Clarence is a 1990 made-for-television movie. It is a sequel to the 1946 film It's a Wonderful Life, following mm-hmm. the character of Clarence from that film. Is it pre-him becoming an angel? The whole point of Clarence's arc is that he is not yet an angel, but he has to perform a miracle right. of sorts right. to get his wings, quote-unquote. Yeah. And George is his mission to, like, save George Bailey. And so, like, it's him sort of watching throughout his, his life to see what happens. So Clarence, the sequel, the 1990 sequel. I wonder if this was during the time when they, it was just, like, anyone could make any spinoff of anything because there was no rights to It's a Wonderful Life. Right. But the film is set in December 1989. So, like, 60 Way years. after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, after the movie. The only continuing character from the original film is the guardian angel, Clarence, played by Robert Carradine. Robert Carradine? Carradine? Yeah. He's he's an actor. People know oh who that gosh, is. Oh my gosh, yes. Robert Carradine. He was in... I recognize that face. Yeah, he's in things. Oh. Robert Carradine is the dad from Lizzie McGuire. Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you. How dare you not know who oh that is? Oh my goodness. That's why you know the name, what? too, because the name always rolled yes. across the screen. It's like, if you what? believe... Oh, we have to watch this. This has been a journey. This has been a journey and a half, and I'm grateful that we went on it together. And it really is a wonderful life. It, it really, it really is a wonderful life. So, Dan, as we do every episode, it's time for our definitive ranking of this movie. For listeners out there, we decided to make our ranking in this podcast around the twelve days of Christmas. So, out of twelve days of Christmas. How many do you give this? So I've been struggling with this because this is a good movie. Yes. On its own. It's a great movie. Yes. You know, four and a half stars I'd give it. Sure. But this is a Christmas movie podcast. How many days of Christmas, Daniel? (laughs) I'm giving it seven swans of swimming out of 12 days of Christmas. Okay. That's very low. 
I also said I would give it four out of five, four and a half out of five stars okay, outside fair. of Christmas movies. That's but fair. as a Christmas movie, it's a seven, seven out of 12 well, for me. you're wrong. It's definitely 12 drummers drumming. This is the highest ranking, I think. Unless I watch a movie in, throughout this journey that's better and it's a wonderful life. It is the movie I watch every Christmas besides The Godfather. Well, I guess I guess that's that. Yeah. The Godfather and It's a Wonderful Life, folks. Um, Carol, what are we going to watch next time? So next week, we will be watching Ron Howard's live-action The Grinch, starring Jim Carrey. I like this movie. We both have seen this movie. This is the first time that we both have seen this movie before. Yeah, I like this movie. It's, it's a good movie. Just giving it all away on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Join us <laughs> next time. And as we say every week, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas.